Hi, this is Dan Sullivan. I'd like to welcome you to the Multiplier Mindset Podcast. Our free zone success story tonight is just a very exciting one because I've actually been in on some of the action with this one, and I know the history going back almost 10 years with Stephen Palter and Michelle Lang and their partners in life and their partners in a business. And this is very exciting because Stephen is an IVF doctor, in vitro fertilization doctor, and he's the first one I've ever met where I really understood the inside of that particular medical specialty. And they live on north coast of Long Island, which is called the Gold Coast locally. So they have a clinic called the Gold Coast Clinic. That's just one of the story. But what's really been exciting for the last weeks in the coronavirus crisis that's happened, which New York was really ground zero for this crisis, they have a particular way of allowing whole communities to communicate on a special platform called Lodestone that Stephen and Michelle innovated over the last six or seven years. We played a sounding board role, Babs and I, in this and, you know, kind of told them where we thought it would go. And all of a sudden, when the crisis hit here in New York, it was the only community it was the only technology, it was the only platform that could actually bring the medical community together for crucial discussions, differences of opinions, and then creating frameworks for moving forward when people were dying at the front lines. So Stephen and Michelle, just uh, such a great pleasure having you this afternoon. We're actually doing this on a Sunday afternoon because it's one of the <laughs> few times that any of us have really, really been able to just kind of pause and relax. But just two or three things that have been amazing about, I would say, since probably the first week of March in your particular specialty. And then what happened to you as a doctor? What happened to you as a clinic? And then what happened to you because of this great new technological platform that you've created, which is applicable actually to almost any cutting edge entrepreneurial community builder? Thank you so much, Dan. It's yeah. such a pleasure to be here with you. And we're, we're so honored to have you on the journey with us through these innovations. For us, there was just sort of a line in the sand that happened in our clinical practice because we got a, an email one day at three o'clock saying, federally, your entire practice is shut down. It was the first time across the globe that on Saturday, the European societies for fertility said all treatment has to stop. And on Monday, they did it in the United States. And so globally, an entire field of medicine was told stop. And it was because of resources being scarce and worrying about the hospitals getting the masks they needed. It was about risks for pregnancy. It was about all the risks related to it. So they just put a moratorium on everything. So we went from being super busy and helping families achieve their dreams to being told, okay, stop today. Yeah. And we had to make 30 calls to people who had been prepping for months saying, stop, we can't do this. And it was because no one knew what the risks were. No one knew what was going to happen. So it takes so much time to figure those things out in medicine that those mechanisms couldn't function. So globally, everyone said, well, since we don't have the answer, let's just stop everything. And that was the crisis in the practice. But at the same time, we realized that we had the solution with our technology platform. Mm -hmm. 
Because what it does is when there is a crisis and a difference of opinion and people don't know the solution, it leverages the community to come together and instantaneously solve it together. So we kind of had the crisis and the solution at the same time. Yeah. So just talk about the difference that the Lodestone, that's the name of the technology, what it actually does, because it does about six or seven different things. I mean, when you're on it, and I've had experiences with it last five or six years of being on one of your events where I don't actually understand the technical language that's being used in the discussions, but I totally comprehend what's actually happening to the community while they're in it. So, for example, the first one we did, I think, was OBGYN. That was OBGYN doctors. If I remember correctly, you had a couple thousand from around the planet on that. So just talk about what actually happens to them that cannot happen anywhere else. Yeah, so I'll tell you the, what happened, and then afterwards maybe we can talk about the genesis of how it got there because it shows what didn't work and what problems we solved. For now, what happened was we saw, I was hearing reports and seeing videos on Twitter and reports from colleagues in Asia, in China, and in Italy, what was happening. And I thought, oh my God, this is coming, this coronavirus is coming, it's going to hit, and the information isn't flowing fast enough. There were just these little snippets, but no one could understand it, and no one could process, and no one knew what was true. So what happened was we immediately ramped up instead of going on a three-month production schedule. We went to 48 hours and we brought together the lead team from Wuhan, from Tanji Hospital. They were at the front line battling it in the OBGYN department. And we then connected to the head of the OBGYN COVID response force for 45,000 doctors responsible for over a billion people who went into Wuhan. And then we saw what was happening in Italy and we reached out to Brescia, to Northern Italy, who was on the cutting edge right there in the front line. Tell us what you saw. We don't have the answer, so we're not going to wait for the final answer six or 12 months from now. Tell me what you saw, what were the mistakes you made, and what did you learn in real time as if you were sitting around the table with the best experts and your best friend saying, what do I do in this crisis? And as we launched it, it hit New York. And so instead of it being lessons from China and Italy, it became lessons from China, Italy, and the front line in New York. And so we had the head of an ICU of 29 hospitals, and we put this out and word had started coming. So within a couple days, we had close to 2,000 doctors on this. And they came in thinking that this is nothing, and it's a flu, and it's the cold. And you heard the same story. You heard the people in Wuhan say, we didn't know this. We knew our patients, so we rushed in, and we didn't wear a mask, and the doctors got sick, and then they went home, and they gave it to their families, and they died. And then Italy said the same thing. And then the New York doctor came on and said the same thing. And she's an ICU doctor, and basically her message was, please don't do the same thing. The patients I am seeing now in the New York ICUs are doctors. They're doctors in the community, just like you, who didn't realize their asymptomatic patients were spreading it. And this was news to everybody on this event. Right. It It was was that you don't get it in the ER. You could get it in the community. You could get it from touching or coughing. And they had never heard it. And it was like this wake-up call because suddenly, instead of waiting three, six weeks, three months, we had the collective wisdom of the front line of three nations in one hour, and we immediately changed the opinion of everyone in the audience. 
And then the next day we had, it was maybe two days later when the IVF thing happened, there was 10,000 people who signed a petition that this ruling was wrong, that we should have business as usual. And we had one of the leading experts came on and said, no one is sick from this. No one's going to happen. And the ICU doctor pops up and says, I actually have three people of your specialty dying in the ICU right now. You're wrong. And then all of a sudden, five minutes before we go live, the White House COVID task force joins our platform (laughs) and says, here's what we're seeing federally. This is true. But then they started gathering information from us because we were not just filtering the information and disseminating the information. We were collating it and we actually analyze it and reporting and creating the sum of the world's knowledge. One of the things, before Michelle comes in here, in Strategic Coach, one of the favorite thinking processes is the experience transformer. But what you had is a worldwide industry uh, experience transformer actually (laughs) happening live in front of the people who could actually use the knowledge. Right. It was a dialogue that led to change. What I was just going to say is that instead of a webinar where you had talking heads in a static fashion just deliver this bolus of information and then it's very passively received by the audience, there was a dialogue going on between the people from around the world who didn't know each other but were coming together to try to do something about this. And then the audience, the dialogue was 360 degrees. It was not just a lecture with a talking head talking or the Zoom version where you have someone conveying information to a passive audience. The audience here, because of the way our system works, is an active participant in crafting the event and telling us what they need the event to be. And they're active participants in the actual event. And then afterwards, we get their feedback and we're able to analyze what everyone said so that we could come up with recommendations and it's the seeds of the next event. Talk a little bit about the information processing. It's more than information. It's the intentionality, what people want If they could design it for themselves, they would intend it to do this for them. And that happens beforehand. And then there's a massive amount of interaction during the event itself because of the chat capability. But that's also being recorded. And then that's being analyzed afterwards. It's actually knowledge creation, frontline knowledge creation. It goes back to the whole genesis of the idea, because originally I was asked to be an editor of one of the medical journals, and they said, could you bring this into the modern world and put a video? Like, we read papers, could you put a video? So, you know, in 1900, there was a print article, and in 2007, what happened was you got a PDF of the print article. That was innovation. (laughs) 107 years improvement. Right, Right. that that was the innovation. And so what they said to me was, could you deliver a video? With the article, and I said, well, wait a minute, this whole system is just completely antiquated. It's one way. So now, instead of information being created by a few thought leaders who disseminated in one part of the United States, information is global. It's happening rapidly, and it's exponentially increasing. So how do you filter and sort that, and how do you leverage the community? So what we said is the common knowledge is actually the start of the conversation, not the end. So what we do is we first figure out what is the crisis or the lack of knowledge in an industry in a specific topic. We do a pre-event analytic with the audience where we get to their deepest concerns and where they're most confused. And we use that to craft the event. We then have an event where we have the world's experts speaking on it, but they're not the final arbiter. So they're on the panel, but instead of speaking few to many, 
They're speaking, but the many now are interactively closing the loop with the few. So the audience is discussing with them what they think of what they're saying. And it's like you have the sort of thumbs up and thumbs down. We see their engagement and we're analyzing it. We have all the information from beforehand. So we know what their pain points are and we know what their understanding is. And we're feeding it back in a loop to the speakers. So the speakers are being delivered the information in real time. Here's what the audience thinks and where they agree and where they disagree. And since there's so much analytics that we can throw up polls, we can throw up questions, we know what to expect and we can all do it in real time, but we close the loop to the speakers. So the speakers are actively participating with the audience, but that audience can have two, four, 6,000 people and we can summarize it. Then at the end, the goal is to drive to consensus. Right. So even when they don't know the answer, we did one on protective equipment and all the experts were saying like, we don't know, we don't know. So we get down to what do you do today? And if you're faced with this, what is the pros and cons? And then the whole audience collectively discusses that. And at the end of an hour, we say, here's the best practice of now. And here's the directions where we have to go in the future. And then we run a deep analytic on the entire discussion and summarize the world's experience. Right. It's really, I think about it as both a multiplier and a simplifier Mm -hmm. because you're exponentially increasing the amount of data and the amount of communication that happens and the community discussion. And then at the end, when you're boiling it down and really coming to the points of consensus, you have a very simplified, focused, clear message that is the totality of the conversation. Yeah. So you yeah get well, both. I've had the experience because we were the first non-medical yes. company that actually used Lodestone. And I had the experience of being the moderator. And I was sitting there and I had to be on my toes because I was listening to the panelists. But at the same time, there was a monitor over here and feedback from the chat room was being summarized and simplified. And I was being given directions. Okay, now ask him this. Now ask him this. It was like live TV from the 1950s. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's actually an amazing experience to actually be in the moderator's role in this. And Stephen, by the way, I think you're absolutely one of the best moderators I've ever seen in any setting. Michelle, I've got a question. When does the lodestone mindset, I mean, Decades later, it becomes a technology. But where was this showing up when you guys, because you guys have been together since you're in your teens. Right. The whole thing was you started to see this really developing in your 20s, 30s. And I'm not going to say how far you are along now. But (laughs) this whole thing of ask the people who actually do it. You know, it's kind of like a fundamental approach to life. Yeah. I mean, from very, very, very early days, Stephen had a combination of intense curiosity, like a Sherlock Holmes level curiosity about the world and how to solve problems, and then this ability to connect people from the separate silos. He just knows people in many different areas and sees the commonalities where people who are wholly within a soul discipline may not see the connections. So I remember in medical school, he connected people who were working in endocrinology, but in different segments. And he got people who were working in the same city who had never spoken to each other 
and in the same discipline who had never spoken to each other to come together for the first time and really talk to about me, solving looked, a problem. It looked like they were all in the same field, but they were slightly different segments. It was right. reproductive endocrinology. No, we're medical endocrinology. Yeah. No, we're medical at Harvard. No, we're medical at BU. Right. And I said, why don't we just do like a whole citywide thing of the yeah. big picture and everyone can share their information that you don't know. Right. We he did, did this as a med student. And I had to you find know? a neutral <laughs> space of geography where they would all meet. So I yeah. just said, if I could just connect each one of you, can yeah. we just do this together? And we had right. this huge conference. Yep. He didn't see the demarcations that the rest of the people did, mm-hmm. but it was a cross specialty discussion and it really changed the game. And he did this at a very young, tender age. He's just done this. This is just how Stephen does things. Like we were talking about this before we came on, you know, some of the other collaborations that he's done are people who are outside of medicine altogether. Like he's done collaborations with people in Hollywood. He's done collaborations with Red, Sony, the Knicks. Like he's taken footage and equipment that was used in other contexts and back engineered it to be able to help people in the medical world. We developed the use of high definition for imaging of surgery and then 4K ultra high def. And then I applied it to embryos. And for each one of these, I went to NAB, the broadcast conference with 100,000 people and met the director of Sony, and then I went to Red, and everyone's making movies. And I said to him, you know, we can change medicine with this technology, and you guys can all come together. And some of them had never worked together. Mm -hmm. So we met, and we were putting on conferences with these people from entertainment, Hollywood. We had DARPA, we had the military, virtual reality entertainment companies, and they all came together. And gamers, and then we made these collaborations. For your event, Dan, what was so exciting was, to me, I always believe that the community together has the power to answer the question. I had been a professor at Yale and, you know, for seven years, and I really disliked this ivory tower approach that they had there, sort of, we know everything. And there are great people there. And when we democratize it and we let everybody speak, I think that's what's truly great. And so in your event, what we saw was, we brought together people from 60 industries and we said, what's the commonality? And we didn't assume to know what it was before we started. We didn't pick the topic. We reached out to them and we shaped it. And we knew at the end, wow, if you're at this stage, you're worried about cash flow. If you're at this stage, you're worried about scaling. And the community together both defined the question and solved it. And you took 60 discrete industries. And at the end, they felt like one group of people working together. Yeah. And we can see our jump in our growth, especially our use of video rather than print materials. I mean, we do a lot of print materials in Coach. But at the same time, you're creating a business. You're creating your IBF clinic. And I should tell the audience here, I was a guest speaker at one of the industries that Stephen is related to. And it was both the worst speaking engagement I've ever had in my life and the absolute best one because, first of all, they had been up since, I think, like 6 o'clock in the morning at (laughs) sessions, and this was like at 5.30 in the afternoon, and they were not paying attention to me at all. You know, I could look at an audience of 300 people, and there was nothing, nothing was happening with me. I was just talking to the air except for one exception. And Stephen was right in the front row and he was looking at me and said, wow, wow, wow. You know, and he was writing down everything else, came up, he signed up for the program. So I said, it's the worst audience ever. I mean, just dead. 
but one of the greatest relationships I've ever experienced <laughs> in strategic coach. Talk about, let's say, January 1st, 2020, and where you were with the clinic. I mean, we have Lodestone, and we'll catch up with Lodestone again. But let's just talk about the clinic, because Babs and I have made great trips to New York and spent a whole day you know, with Stephen and Michelle on a half dozen occasions. The one thing is that IVF is very tightly controlled and very tightly regulated by the government. So every actual implant that you do in IVF and your success record from that implant has to be logged in with the federal government. And every six months, they issue a report of the most successful practitioners and clinics in the United States. And I was happy to see those reports that you were right at the top. You were among the group that was always right at the top. So talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial approach to the actual business of IVF and the whole aspect of creating value for a very, very specific type of client base. Well, again, having been at a big university, what I loved was our innovation. If anything you wanted to do, you could find a brilliant person at Yale who wanted to do it. And that's what I loved. What I didn't love was it was a giant bureaucracy and it wasn't focused on the patient. And so I just was moving up and I was supposed to go on to become a director or chairman. And then I said, I think we could create something where we have both. And then I was looking to join places and one of my mentors who introduced me, who had told me about you actually, Dan, he said all the wisdom that he'd ever given me, he said, well, all my advice comes from this one guy. It's not my advice. It's this guy, Dan Sullivan. You know, I decided I wanted to do it on my own and build a new center. So I left Connecticut and just opened in New York where we had grown up and we decided to offer something different where we would have our success is based on two things. And we have patients who come from around the world having failed in six different countries or and people from mm-hmm. down the block. There's two key factors. One is it's that attention to detail. When things aren't working, you don't just assume, well, someone else checked it and it worked. There's always an answer. And it's not just because. It's not random. There's always an answer, but you may not know it. And if you dig deep enough, you can analyze it. And we see the connections that are sometimes missed. So we're at the cutting edge. For example, we have one of the 50 air systems in the country or in the world that can actually kill coronavirus. We put that in because we knew viruses and fungus could hurt the embryos. We put that in years ago. But the second part is it's the experience for the patient. So we wanted it to be this boutique sort of where we guide them with us and it's like family. We have a reunion for our patients. Other places call it a baby party. We call it our family reunion. We have 600 people come up to 15 years later, and all they want to do is give back to the people who are starting. And that experience is not only part of your success, but no matter what happens, it makes the journey so much better for them. And so it's this combination of having the highest cutting edge technology, the most analytics, but also having that human personal touch. And you often find one or the other. You find the high tech place that's cold and awful or the hand holding place that lacks the quality. And what we try to do is to meld the two together. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, it's an industry like many medical industries that are going through extraordinary consolidation. Big corporations are actually buying out. And you've stood you know, really uniquely as an independent because of the possibility for innovation and this determining the customer experience. Yes. Yeah, that's it. There's waves of private equity consolidation in VCs and 
all this happening and we've seen that we are much more nimble. We yes. can change on a dime. We can do things quickly. We can analyze even what's happening in this mindset, you know, with the virus, we can see the patterns and launch and we can be very responsive and we don't lose track of the data from the real world. So we can see it and everyone's perfectly aligned. You know, yeah. it's the, everyone in the organization's perfectly aligned. In fact, we got some emails this week from people saying, who's really running your place? You can't possibly be, who's your hidden corporate person and what's the organization? This just can't be just some people. We said, no, it's it's us. us. (laughs) Yeah. So we know your growth plans, Babs and I, because we've been part of the conversation and, you know, it struck me right from the beginning. I mean, when we first met, I said that both on your practice side and also on the lodestone side that, Together, you were just extraordinary innovators. And it was a very humane on both sides. I mean, both of it is valuing human beings for who they are and treating human beings for who they are. So you were off to a great start in January and February, and then bang, (laughs) the whole world changes. So talk a little bit of how you've handled this and how it's actually changed your whole notion of the future normal that starts after the crises has been passed. So there was the old normal for January and February, then we had scary times. They were very, very scary times. And then we'll have a new normal after this. But talk a little bit about how this whole having to pivot and become almost a world leader in allowing frontline practitioners to actually share and also create the knowledge that other practitioners are going to need with this has changed your whole view of the future now, including including your practice. Well, it's very liberating in a kind of crazy way because once you have such a bright line demarcation, you have to leave the past in the past. The issues you had in the past or even the opportunities you have in the past, that's an illusion now. Like you can't look to the future and extrapolate it based on that past. Mm-hmm. which kind of sets you free to see where you are right now and see what's right in front of you and see how you can be of service and who can you be a hero to truly. And once we did that and we took a breath and we said, here we are, everything's okay. We're going to figure out how we're going to get through this. Suddenly it was like this new future that was much, much bigger than we had thought of, which was, you know, we were pretty happy in January. There were a lot of great things happening, but This is of another level. And I think part of it is that the world needs what we have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had this before and Lodestone was great and we were using it and it was working. We could tell you all kinds of stories about different contexts in which we were developing the platform, but the world really needs this right now. We really need to connect with doctors. And the world is knocking on your door too right now. Yes. What happened was I think it caught up to us because we had this solution, but people were kind of in their own way. And they also they didn't understand it. Like I it, think yeah, just I, even talking about video conferencing and talking about speaking right. globally when they saw it, but people were so fixated in their own day-to-day world that making a leap was difficult. And the same thing in the practices. So what happened now is suddenly there's a crisis and there has to be a new way and value and relationship is so important with our patients. We were doing live events and we had a thousand people on these things watching just, it. And it just suddenly all the noise of social media and advertising that was image without value 
goes away and people just want something that's real that's going to help them. And so it's an opportunity really to connect with your clients and the people in your own industry. Yeah. The thing that I've got out of it, because I've been a bit of a distance away from it, and I'm looking at a lot of what I call free zone models, because you're operating in a free zone right now, because everybody who is technologically savvy says, oh, it's just another video counseling service. And the people who are corporate who can see the importance of it want it for themselves. They don't want to share it with the world. So you still have the same silos. But one thing I'd like to talk about is your understanding the silo problem that you talked about back when you were in school and, you know, basically all through your growth into the world-class clinic you have right now. It's always been a silo problem. And that's a silo problem during normal times, but it becomes lethal and tragic during scary times. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because the biggest thing we found out was the silo problem that was killing people. I think it's universal that you have these people who are just looking in their little group. An example is, you know, our industry had a task force to try and solve this issue. They didn't have the information. They met, they analyzed what they could read. And it was incomplete. So they issued guidelines that said, we don't know, maybe we'll figure it out. And then they've issued two more statements that are the same thing saying, well, we don't know, we're going to figure it out. So we broke those silos. And now we say, who has the information you need? And how do we bring them to the table? And they share it. So we figured, wow, primary care doctors are open. How do you reopen after the virus? How does anyone reopen? So how do all the stores open? How does business reopen? We said, who never closed? Well, primary care pediatricians and obstetricians had to see people in labor. We got someone who's done 10,000 of those, and then we found them in three countries, and now in a couple of days, they're going to come together and say, tell us what worked and didn't work. People just don't think of looking outside of their little community. It's just that's the way they think, and so that's what we're doing. And we even did it with the patients. We even with our clients brought them together and said, instead of us telling you how to deal with what you're feeling, how to feel, (laughs) we had nonprofits and we were going to have an event to tell them how to deal with the crisis. We said, why don't you tell us what you're struggling with and what's worked and hasn't worked for you? And we broke the silo between the doctor and the patient. Well, one of the things that I'm seeing, and we actually had a wonderful Zoom call with somebody in a completely different industry. He just got it immediately of what he could do to create an entirely new, almost innovative model in a completely different industry. So what I'm seeing is that I think it's infinite, the number of industries that once they understand what this does, it's almost like a new organizational model. I mean, it's technological and its main application has been in the medical healthcare field by necessity, especially recently. But my sense is that we're at a point now where you look at the way the 21st century is going to go, especially after this experience. And it seems to me that almost every industry where you have a cutting edge innovator in that, they would want to create this type of community using the lodestone technology. Yeah, the value is it'll work anywhere where there's new developments coming quickly, where there's uncertainty about what to do, and where there is a whole group of people facing that crisis. So what happens is the person who adopts this and who uses it, they can be the center of that community. You're the person who's helping them filter the information and come with the best practice. You can even build a community where there's 
individual practitioners, like the IVF doctors who are so all competing with each other, they come together to solve the issue. Mm-hmm. And so you can solve the crises in your industry, no matter what business it is, and you can create the answers mm-hmm. and you can create the community as well. Right. I think sometimes people confuse the technology for the benefit. We always say we're platform agnostic. You can use whatever technology you need to implement this process. But what really matters is the people and connecting the people and getting the collective wisdom of the people together. And this is all just a tool to do that and to help grow community and give individual people their voice and to help them connect with each other. It's a tool. The technology is not what this is about. I mean, typically, you know, people who have webinars... Because if you look at this, it kind of looks like, is it a webinar? Yeah. There's some people online and they're talking. You know, normally it's about 20% of people will last an hour on the webinar. 80% will drop out. And if they can get 10 or 20% to say they learned something, they say the event was successful. So we were launching an event with an audience that had never been together in yeah. 48 hours notice. And we had 2,000 of them and less than five dropped out at an hour and 15 minutes on a Friday night at seven o'clock because they're so deeply engaged. And then over seven years, we typically run 80, 90% will say Mm -hmm. they will completely change what they do as a result of the event. And that's because we're answering the questions that the audience desperately wants and they're crafting the answer at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's completely interactive and we're agnostic in all the platforms. So we can go through Hangouts and Skype and Zoom and we can go. And now those people are actually reaching out to us saying, yeah. you've got capabilities. Like, you know, we have cell phones of lead people in these companies saying you do it in a different way than most people. <laughs> so I'd like to talk about that because we're looking at the rest of 2020 and we're beyond twenty. 21 and you know you've gotten a little bit more sleep than I had (laughs) witnessed during the past month and we have a little time to think about this because from you doing the one who's knocking on doors over the last seven years all of a sudden we're presented with a situation as you've shared it with us where other people are knocking on the doors and this is coming from Hollywood this is coming from the political sector, it's coming from the corporate sector, it's coming from different industries. So what sorts it out for you as you think about going forward? Because it seems to me that there's two passions here. There's the passion for the platform, but there's also the passion for the process that you've created at Gold Coast. It seems to me that you've solved a lot of complexity on the actual practice side with your organizational model and the statistics actually prove it. You know, the kind of great loyalty you have from your clients going back 15 years proves it. So how do you sort this out? Because it seems to me that both are a passion, both are fascinating, both are motivating to you. How do you think about this? Or is there a way of actually combining the two as you go forward? I think there is a synergy here, and it has never been more apparent than in the last month or so. It's a synergy between the technology and using all the tools that are at our disposal to try to achieve an aim, and then using those tools to humanize and connect and create community. And for both the practice and for Lodestone, it's the same effort. It feels the same to do the work. And so I think it's really going to transform our practice going forward because I think there's a sea change in the way medicine is being practiced right now. And I think that 
people are going to have to become adept at using these technologies to connect with other human beings. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity to transcend the technology and really focus on the people. We're working on it and we did it, but I think the entire world learned we leaped forward in the last six weeks in terms of how we use technology to connect with one another. And so I see it very much, it's dovetailed almost completely at this point where, you know, if a year ago we had been talking, we would have been talking about it as two separate projects. I really think they've unified in the last months or so. The practice, it's medicine's going to change because so much of the inefficiencies you just couldn't do when you were in the crisis. So telemedicine, I mean, we did telemedicine with patients who came from Russia or Nigeria, but the person who came from down the block would have to come in and walk through because that was the insurance regulation. So we can see so many more people so much more efficiently and save time. And even the efficiencies in the office, well, we had to go in, but we couldn't expose people. So how did we do what we did with 20 people with three now? And it was leveraging technology and systems. And so that's going to allow us to scale dramatically in the practice. We're incredibly more efficient and we can add people remotely doing things and we can increase our throughput. And there are networks that want to join with us to use those skills. With Lodestone, it's clear that I think everyone's facing this uncertainty, but now they're comfortable with sort of entering in with technology and they realize that their existing systems don't work to get the information that's meaningful. You get a thousand emails of webinars and so many of them are awful, but how do you get the information you need? It's not by waiting for an article two months from now. People need to connect. And so I think in all industries, they realize that we need this and we know it can work no matter where they are. Yeah. Well, my feeling is that there's two worlds out there. There's the world that didn't respond well to the crises, you know, and it's largely bureaucratic and it's largely siloed, you know, people don't share information with each other. But I do sense at the entrepreneurial level, there's a great breakthrough. Uh, This has been a very, very great breakthrough, a period of six or seven weeks. And they said, well, I think they said, Michelle, exactly what you said, we'll leave the past to the past and now we're, we're going to move forward. So my feeling is that there's a meeting place between what the two of you have done over the last 30 or 40 years, but specifically over the last six or seven years, that's going to meet with a lot of entrepreneurial cutting edge thinking as we go forward. I think there's going to be a lot of surprises, and I'd like to kind of end the interview on that point. If you had to very quickly have a consensus between the two of you, what would you say the three things that most positively surprised you about yourselves and how you handled it? Because you're sitting in your family home and you also have a family with three sons who were sequestered with you during the same period of time. Before we came on, Stephen and Michelle said they haven't moved from the table that they're sitting at for the last six or seven weeks because this was global central right here at the table. But just the three things that you are absolutely clear about your capabilities, your teamwork, your ability to respond very, very fast. What would you say? I would say that I think our biggest barrier before this all happened was perfectionism. We, I was say the yeah, same thing. we would sit and we would try to make it perfect because medicine is not an 80% kind of field. It's a hundred percent kind of field. So we would take things to 120% and then cautiously launch it. 
we just didn't have the and luxury we would add features. of that. I mean, there's just yeah. elegance of features that we can add that makes yeah. this thing like an elegant Broadway show where it's entertaining and fun. And being forced to go from three months production to 48 hours is you had a launch. You right. just had a launch and everyone shifted their mindset. And it was mm -hmm. also that when there's a sense of urgency coming together with the goal being to solve the problem, like results, result oriented, not process. Right. And just saying, we're going to make mistakes. And that's been a theme in a lot of the events we've been doing oh, yeah. for physicians. They were reassuring people from hot zones were reassuring people who were just coming into the hot zones. The message over and over again was, you're going to make mistakes because you're a human being, but that's okay. You're going to get really, really good, really, really, really fast, fast. And you're going to come out better at the other end. Yes. So. And just, you know, take heart in that and don't let, you know, the imperfections slow you down. And it makes you realize that the imperfections really are the seeds of the next thing that you do. There is no failing. There's just things that you try and then you just build on those. We understood it intellectually, but we didn't really do it until about six weeks ago. And the biggest success were when we always, whenever there was a choice to make, we said, what's our core value and our core mission and who do we want to be a hero to? So when we're getting a dozen calls of all kinds of different things, run virtual conferences and do meetings online and um, social, and social, social media, media right? and people with, you know, all kinds of yeah. things. We'd say, who do we want to be a hero to and what problem do we want to solve? And what's our core capability? We sort the information, create a community and help them solve it. If it met those things, the events were successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for updating me of where you are right now. And I think that all of our, especially our free zone participants in Strategic Coach are going to be very inspired by what you're doing. And I think all the coach community, which includes everybody who's active in the Signature and 10 Times program, but we have 11,000 other who have been in coach, they'll get enormous benefit from this. So I just want to thank you for so succinctly Summing up, which has been a very, very remarkable six-week period so far, you know, and it's just such a pleasure for Babs and me to be travelers on this trip with you. It's such a pleasure. Truly, without Coach, I don't know how we would have been able to do this. How I mean, to think about the problems, how to sort it, how to how deal to with uncertainty, it. how to think about it. And when you've got all these competing possibilities, options, dangers, and opportunities, really a pathway to sort through it. That's certainly been coach-inspired. And the community as well, just being connected to other people. That's the other thing that's been remarkable is just the number of people in coach who have reached out both to get information that we've given as freely as we could and also to help and to solve yep. problems in the world. It's, it's the most incredible community to be a part of. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.